0: Hello, and welcome to the Silver Screen Superheroes Podcast. I am your host, Alex Case, sitting in for Blaine Dowler. This month, I am taking a look at TMNT from 2007, the first completely animated feature film based on Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic book series. As I went into on the podcast covering TMNT 3, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles quote-unquote Turtles in Time, as the fan subtitle is appended. That film was terrible, and it basically killed the Turtles franchise in terms of feature films for almost a decade. We had gotten some television series, including a live-action television series and a couple animated series, including one that hewed significantly closer to the comic books, but nothing that really... Got a big theatrical release. TMNT from 2007, put out by Amagi Productions, as opposed to Imago, which is the name I accidentally gave it in the uh, previous episode, was kind of the exception to that. It's the coming out for Amagi, which was a Chinese animation studio. Now, while it is a Chinese studio, most of the people you'll see on the credits are generally American or Canadian. Film's director uh, Peter, sorry Kevin Monroe, is from New Brunswick, um, New Brunswick, Canada. Other Bathurst, New Brunswick, Canada. Um, the production staff has a whole bunch of, for lack of a better term, North American names or Western names. And the cast has a significant number of either big-name screen Western actors or big-name voice actors. We have, for example, uh, Chris Evans as Casey Jones. Evans is known now as, well, Captain America. And aside from the work role in the Captain America films, his work in the first two Fantastic Four films along with Snowpiercer, Sarah Michelle Gellar, who at this point was known best in her career for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, as April O'Neil, and Patrick Stewart as the film's somewhat antagonist, Winters. Of note, with the Turtles, most of the cast for for them are people who are predominantly voice actors. Probably the most notable example, particularly if you play video games, is Nolan North, as Raphael, North has gone on to play Nathan Drake in the Uncharted series of films. Well, games. They're kind of structured like films. He's had various roles in Rick and Morty, Ultimate Spider-Man, the television series, Hulk and the Age of Smash, since then, the um, Batman Arkham blank series of video games, such as... Well, basically playing Chester Coplepot. Cobblepot, or the Penguin, as he's more colloquially known. He was... He's been Deadpool in multiple video games. And his ubiquity in video game voice acting has reached a point where... In the Deadpool video game, where he voiced Deadpool, there's a sequence in the game where Deadpool calls Nolan North and harangues him into voicing himself in the game. Nolan North into voicing Deadpool in the game. Leading to Deadpool, leading to Nolan North playing a total of four roles. Deadpool and the three, and the three voices in his head, or the two other voices in his head, plus Nolan North himself. That sort of thing. Lots of voice acting roles. You, you, it's be shorter to list the number of video games that Nolan North hasn't done voices in than once he has. We have, as Michelangelo, Mikey Kelly. Kelly, again, lots of voice acting roles. He was in the Tony Hawk Underground games, Full Spectrum Warrior, Ben 10, before playing Michelangelo here. James Arnold Taylor had been in, or has gone on to be in, depending on the point in his career. Probably most notably, this is a later work, but still... One worth, one worth mentioning, being the voice of the Minions in the Despicable Me franchise, along with in the Clone Wars French, Star Wars Clone Wars CG television series and films voicing Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Donatello is voiced by Mitchell Whitfield. Whitfield has a bit more screen roles to his credit, such as My Cousin Vinny, which is probably the most recognizable one, and various episodes of Friends. He's since gone to more voice acting work, starting with TMNT. He's been in episodes of Winx Club since this, Legend of Korra, and in the current Transformers, Robots, in Disguise series, he is the voice of Fix-It. I'm bringing up the later work here because... These actors who are playing the Turtles here will not be reprising their roles as the Turtles in later films. The other two voices of note in this film, voice actors of note, are Lawrence Fishburne as the narrator, and Mako as Splinter. Mako is a voice you'll probably be familiar with if you watch the Conan the Barbarian films, or Highlander 3 among numerous other roles. He is a Japanese-American actor of significant amount of work. He also was one of the early voices, or the first voice, for Uncle Iro on Avatar The Last Airbender. And this is his last role. When the film was announced and sort of came out at San Diego Comic-Con, they're announcing the film's cast... Mako was announced as the voice of Splinter, and shortly after that announcement, he passed away. Fortunately, Mako had recorded all of the principal dialogue for Splinter. However, this leads to my suspicion of why Lawrence Fishburne's in the movie when he plays no other role as the narrator who only appears at the beginning of the film. I believe that... The opening narration of the film was probably initially meant to be voiced by Splinter, but they had not recorded that dialogue prior to Mako's passing. Now, Mako passed away of esophageal cancer. I'm gonna get into this a little more later, but it, it it does have some impact on his performance, I believe. So let's talk somewhat about the film's plot. The film's plot is, from what I understand, somewhat loosely based on a arc from the comics called City on Fire. And it involves a general called, um, I'm going to mangle this pronunciation, Yatl, Y-A-O-T-L, who, with several generals over 100,000 years ago, or something similar, nearly conquered the world before they arrived at this portal into a parallel universe that gives those who control it great power. Yotl, um uses the portal to gain immortality when the process his fellow generals are turned into stone. So Yotel then tries to over centuries amass great power so that when the next portal opens he can use it to turn his friends back into normal. This kind of sets up the main theme of the film which is brotherhood and family. In the film, the Turtles have somewhat split up. Leonardo has been sent to go on a training mission or excursion into Latin America, while meanwhile, the Turtles are kind of off doing their own thing. Raphael is being a vigilante, Michelangelo is basically doing birthday parties as a costumed clown, and Donatello is working technical support. Meanwhile, April and Casey Jones are running a import-export business that focuses on acquisition of ancient relics, and they are likely going to get hitched. So, there's these themes of April and Casey forming their new family, and the Turtles coming back together as a family, and that sort of thing. Winters has determined, in the meantime, Yodel has taken on the new name of Max Winters, And determined that the next portal is going to open in the present day in New York City and he's built this massive financial empire. And As part of this, a whole bunch of monsters are going to come to town and Yodel hires April to acquire the statues of his imprisoned generals and hires the Foot Clan to ride herd on the monsters when they show up so they can be captured and imprisoned and sent back into the portal so Yodel can restore his colleagues to flesh and blood and restore their mortality, and that sort of thing, because, as anyone who's watched Highlander can tell you, immortality is not actually all that it's cracked up to be. So, April, who was in Latin America retrieving the statue of the last of the generals, basically talks Leonardo into coming back home. Right on time for the monsters to start showing up, for the turtles to end up running into conflict with the foot, and the monsters, and the generals and various degree of fights and drama ensuing, while also there's tension between Raphael and Leonardo over the fact that Leonardo has been gone for years and now has come back and is trying to slip back into the leadership position as if nothing has happened. And this is where things just kind of go on from there, and the plot unfolds. So, when it comes to voice acting and animation, and particularly casting of screen actors... I have noticed in my experience watching animated films and animated television series and anime and all this stuff is there are some groups of actors who work well together in the anime, in animation and certain production styles for animation and voice, recording voice acting which work well for getting good chemistry within actors. If you've seen Batman the Animated Series, you know the actors in the show have a great deal of chemistry and part of that is because Angie Romano, who was the voice acting director and also the who handled casting on the show, tried to make sure that when the actors were recording their dialogue, they were recording them in the room together. And consequently, actors and scenes together can feed off of each other's performance because they can read their other actors' performances and know where they're coming from and handle this stuff very well. Consequently, you have a really strong chemistry there between... Batman Commissioner Gordon between Batman and Alfred between Batman and the Joker. This comes up here because for most other acting work, generally each person records their dialogue in isolation. In some cases depending on who or records what in what order, this means that someone may have another person's vo- vocal performance to work off of, but just the vocal performance, not necessarily physical performance. You know, if someone has lots of experience doing voice acting in the past or voiceover work this isn't a problem. But if you have a weird mix and match there, it kind of you know, people who have experience doing this or not can lead to a certain degree of unevenness. Thus is the case here. The Turtles are perfect. They have excellent chemistry. They met all these actors mesh together well because they're all experienced voice actors. They're all used to this sort of situation. And they're all able to kind of fit their characters in to a way where they get that chemistry really well of the chemistry that you expect to have from the fact that these four characters are siblings and have spent their lives together, and everything works great. Patrick Stewart has had tons of voice acting work. Tons. Even if it's not just like animation work, but stuff like doing voiceover work for television, he's used to being in the booth. He's used to kind of projecting these emotions without having anyone necessarily feed off of. And so things just kind of work, kind of work there. By contrast, you get into Sarah Michelle Gellar, Zhang Zhi, who voices Karai. Zhang Zhi is probably best known for her work in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and House of Flying Daggers. And Mako. For Mako, unfortunately, he really brings very little energy to the role. And that's not his fault, because he's dying of a cancer that affects your throat. It's not necessarily laryngite, the cancer of the larynx, but it's it's in your throat. It's, it's going to affect how you talk. And so, if you're used to his more sort of more full-bodied, gravelly voice from the gra- gravelly is not necessarily the right word, but the his voice from Highlander three, his voice from the Conan movies, his very distinct voice, which has a, which has a lot of which has a particular energy to it and a particular weight to it. And it's not in full evidence here. And it's completely understandable why that is. And it's not the filmmaker's fault. I suspect when they cast Mako, when he auditioned, they didn't know he was going to be dying of cancer. And I don't think, and Mako, I doubt he was intending to die of cancer. Most people don't. But it unfortunately hurts his performance as Splinter in the film particularly in comparison to the performances we've gotten from the first two Turtles movies from Kevin Clash, who sort of set the mark to beat for Splinter. I'm certain Sarah Michelle Geller and Chris Evans did the, an excellent job. I feel that they did a fairly decent job, but they don't quite click, particularly compared to the chemistry that we had between Casey Jones and April O'Neil in the first two Turtles films. Or the first Turtles film. As far as uh, Zai Zhe- Zhang, I don't know at this point how her English was. And consequently, I don't know how well, whether her weaknesses in her performance were related to her own difficulties with the dialogue or other issues, but she doesn't quite. It doesn't quite click as well as for her other performances. And it may be a combination of unfamiliarity with voice acting along with other factors. I mean, certainly she would have had the loop dialogue and so forth before. I mean, she did her own dub voice for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. But it's one thing to have been acting with people on a physical set or on a stage or what have you, having seen those performances and Seen those cues and then thus being able to mentally replicate them in a voice acting booth for the same dialogue and the same sequences, and something else where you don't have those memories, you don't have that useful character beats as an actor, and trying to put that together for your character, particularly for a character where, well, frankly, Cry has only exist it only existed prior to the release of TMNT in the comics. She never appeared in the feature films before. I do not believe she appeared much in the animated series until after this. So there's those issues. As far as the film itself goes, it, in spite of its weaknesses, it, it's a good film. It is still, honestly... One of the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles films. Admittedly, considering the quality of the films we've gotten thus far, that is to a certain degree damning with faint praise. But this film and the first live-action film get the comics, get the sentiment in them, get the themes of the work, and are able to tell a exciting, entertaining story which works on multiple levels, has material for younger audiences and older audiences, and even holds up well to repeat viewing which is what you want in a good movie. It succeeds at being a TM Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that gets the comics and isn't just stupid, inane jokes for kids who haven't seen better to the detriment of an annoyance of people in the audience who have. Let's talk some about how this film fared at the box office. Now, the rule of thumb is for the domestic box office, we want a movie to make back about twice the budget in the gross. TMNT's budget, estimated budget, according to IMDb, is $34 million. The estimated domestic U.S. gross is $54 million, approximately. So it's about 1.5. The worldwide gross is... 30, about oh, 095.6, and I bring this up in particular, this is including the US and international gross for a uh, total amount of, um, or a total ratio or whatever, about three, just under three times the estimated budget. I bring this up because, because Amagi is a Chinese company, to a certain extent, once the rules don't ac- apply, because this was certainly distributed by Warner Brothers in the United States, when it comes to making your money back, I suspect that to a certain extent, Amagi's bottom line gets a little more from the international uh, budget. Particularly if, say, for example, they can distribute the film in China themselves. And this actually comes up related to the growth of the Chinese box office. China only normally allows a certain number of foreign-produced films into the country per year. This is why China did not get The Force Awakens until January of 2016, as opposed to getting it in December of 2015. China had reached their limit for a number of of foreign films. So, Force Awakens basically gets to come out first thing in 2016. Because Amagi is a Chinese company, it gets to get around that restriction. And also, from a production standpoint, they're getting more of the cut of making the movie, the money from making the movie, and the producers get more of the Chinese box office than necessarily they would have if it was just a complete U.S. production and another company handles Chinese distribution. They get to be more directly involved. So, I'm willing to give a little more credit here to the Worldwide box office because this is going to include more of the Chinese box office. So at 2.8, that is nothing... At, at 2.8 times the budget, that is nothing to sneeze at. With that said, unfortunately, we have not received a Imagi Studios made sequel, which is kind of a bummer. Imagi later went on to do a animated film adapting Osamu Tezuka's Astro Boy, which I may or may not get into in the future. Astro Boy, such Adam, is certainly a superhero. Tezuka's, no doubt, and considered him a superhero, but he's very much an anime character first. Anime and manga character before a traditional, we consider him a traditional superhero. But well, that's a discussion for another time. Next time, however, we will get into the most recent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film, at least of this recording, and actually even of that recording, because the sequel to this film, while coming out this year, doesn't come out until June. And I'm speaking here of the live a- of the newest live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film, produced by Michael Bay and directed by Jonathan Liebesman from 2014. And that's what we would speak about next month. If you now, if you enjoyed the show, please rate the show on iTunes, it, or whatever, or Stitcher, or whatever your podcatcher podcatching site of choice is. It helps boost visibility for the podcast. And also check out some of our other shows. I recommend, well, the 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcasting, unofficial rather, 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast hosted by Blaine Dowler, who normally hosts this show and his associated podcast, Comic Book Physics, where he discusses various themes in physics and science that are related to, well, comic books, and currently, because of the 75 Greatest Marvel's Countdown podcast, focusing on particular issues of Marvel comics that are being discussed in that podcast. Also, topical, considering that the X-Files revival is currently airing, check out X-Files Retrospective Podcast as well, or if you just like to have one podcast feed containing everything together into one nice, neat, little tidy package, check out the Bureau 42 Master Audio Feed, which also contains in addition to Silver Screen Superheroes and all those podcasts I mentioned earlier are um, well, Greatest Science Fiction Film Tournament Podcast, which I host, and I have a various variety of guests or ghosts solo in those episodes of that podcast, and That's something worth checking out as well. So, once again, thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next month. Calabunga.